friend of mine for over 20 years in the German team, the father of two, and a wonderful wife. A wonderful, wonderful wife. Such a one. I'm just kidding, Daniel. Daniel Turkas, everybody. What a star in paragliding. He's going to tell us about a 180-kilometer flight that he did with Wolfgang Dorfler. And they didn't even, well, they didn't turn for a whole long while. They planned to fly 40 kilometers and ended up with no radio, no communication with anybody, flying back to Iquique, 180 kilometers in the dune, on a glider you've never heard of because it was so long ago. Welcome. Uh, Daniel, you're near Rosenheim in Germany. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Thanks. Are you doing great? Yeah. How, t how are things in Germany at the moment? Yeah, well, no flying. We're all in Corona lockdown, but uh, doing the best what I can. Enjoying some family time. The kids are happy that daddy is not flying all the time. So, you know, there's also some positives. And you were telling me yesterday when we gave each other a quick call that uh, you were looking up at the sky with absolute amazement at how bloody good it looked and all you wanted to do was get in the sky. Yeah, right. That's not possible at the moment. In fact, we had really, really awesome weather um, during the lockdown already. A couple of really good days, high base, no wind. But yeah, what can you do? Uh, you're not the only European pilot who's been telling me that. So, yeah. Daniel, when did you flying my friend that was uh, 1997 so 23 years ago mm -hmm. and how did you get into flying yeah well i told you i always wanted to fly and um it was just very appealing and um i was passing my cousin going skiing and snowboarding and i saw the guys flying in the sky and thought hey, this is something i want to do as well mm-hmm and then uh, some friend of yours apparently had some very old glider. Do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> uh, you want to know the story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, in fact, it all started in Denmark when uh, there was no wind for windsurfing. I was a windsurfer also back at that time. Uh, now I'm more the kite surfer. And, um, well, we had nothing to do. So uh, we found an old parachute to be dragged behind the boat. But there was no boat and so, yeah, and no harness. And then I had the great idea to build a harness from a surfing harness. And instead of a boat, we used an old VW bus with a communicator and a driver. And then I had to be the test dummy. And then it worked out really fine. And then I told my friend and a couple of weeks later, he called me and said, oh, I have a glider now as well, and we should try. So we took his father's Mercedes, and um, through the rooftop window, we had the communicator, and it was like in November, frozen fields and a dirt road. But, uh, yeah, long story short, luckily, no, no, no serious injuries. No uh, some bruises, some scratches, but nothing serious. And then we decided... We need to go to Kassen, so we took that gear, three friends we were, and uh -huh. he looked at us and said, well, not with this stuff, and not here on my mountain, but um, if you want to learn properly, then go and, you know, do a course in a flight school, and that's what we did. And you ended up at Otto in Westendorf, is that Westendorf, right? Westendorf, correct, yes. Yeah, cool, that's great, and your experience was great there, was it? That's where you first yeah. started. Yeah. 
go on. For me, for me, it was really good. I, I mean, he taught me really a lot and he challenged us. And he not only showed us how to go up, but also how to go down and all the maneuvers and emphasized the need for training and training and practicing and ground handling and knowledge. And um, so, yes, for me, it was really great. And I devoured all books I could get. And yeah, basically, I've been really, really hooked from this first day. And it hasn't gotten better since I'm still really, really hooked and addicted. I want to uh, interrupt you a moment and tell you it happened exactly like that with me. When I looked at paragliding and I started in 1996 and somebody said to me, ah, forget it. After a few weeks, you're just going to be bored of soaring up and down. And, uh, and uh, you, uh, within a few weeks, you're going to want to do other things. I don't know about you, Daniel, but the sky calls me every bloody day. Yeah. Every bloody day. And I think the differences with paragliding is that you never, ever stop learning. You know, there is still some continuous development and you can still get better at stuff. You know, practice this maneuver, practice these skills, fly further, fly better. So my my goal finally is to fly like a bird. You know, I want to be bird-like and I love it to fly cross country. And also, you know, if you're not going competition, just fly from this mountain to that mountain. And if you want, you can top land and then you can fly off again. Playing bird, I call it. I love it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, being able to land anywhere, uh, look at, uh, I've just chatted to uh, Lynn Jones yesterday, who is married to Antoine um, uh, Laurent and uh, she is explaining to me about uh, cross country and the V flying in India are sensational, absolutely fantastic. So, can you remember what your very first paraglider was, Daniel? Oh, yeah, of course, I can. I think everybody can. It was a Discus 1000 or so, I think it was called. I don't even know the brand, but I know it was yellow and it had like a pink diamond in the bottom sail. Yeah, that was my very first one. Yeah, in those days, those things had to be bright. Eh? If you see yeah. videos from the early days of paragliding competitions, it's unbelievable how much limo there was. <laughs> yeah. Disco. Yeah, disco. Where did you go from there? Uh, well, I mean, also thanks to Otto, I mean, I progressed quite fast and I had, of course, um, some skills from uh, from other extreme sports. And so I did all the SIVs and everything. And then uh, basically I jumped to a high performance glider, DHV 223. It was a Novak Sion back at that time. And uh, I remember the very first flight I said to Otto, look, I'm going up and I'm going to do the full stall just to see if I can master the reset button, basically. Yeah, and that's what I did. And it worked out fine. And he said, yeah, you can have it. It's mine, but it can, can be yours. And this is the glider you're going to really, really learn flying on. And yeah, and then I started practicing all the maneuvers and everything. And um, that was like when the first sets came up and stuff like that. And ever since I have been flying high performance gliders or prototypes or like for the, since there is CCC two liners, I've been flying two liners and yes. high performance gliders. You started with the early Ozone ones and uh, today you're on an Enzo 3. You're super happy with that glider. You're looking forward to something like an Enzo 4? Yeah, that would be nice, of course. Progression is always good. Um, but the Enzo 3 is a really nice, nice glider. 
I must say. No, I was super, super impressed by uh, my last glider. It was an Enzo 2, went to the Enzo 3. I couldn't believe the difference. Uh, everyone was telling me, oh, it's only a small performance difference, but so much more relaxed in the air, isn't it? Yeah, right. But, I mean, you need to have your skills together. And I think uh, that's for whoever, everybody, who, whatever glider you fly, I think it's really important that you know your stall plunge, you can spin your glider, that you know you, how it reacts when it collapses and also on full bar. And um, yes, I always pushed my limit, but I also made sure I don't progress too fast. And I can proudly say that in 2,500 hours, I've never needed the rescue, no matter also in ACRO and ACRO maneuvers, I never needed the rescue and I hope it'll stay like that. Yeah, never a hospital visit, as you had told me yesterday. I mean, I'm sure you're, um, you, you were following in the, uh, whatever it was, the World Championships of uh, snowboarding at the time. I'm sure those yeah. risks were much higher than what you have experienced in paragliding. Oh, yeah, I ended up in hospital more than once, surely, yeah. Tell us a funny story. Tell us a scary moment. Tell us something really fun and interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, paragliding, there are a lot of funny stories, but I mean, oh, okay. I have a really nice memory um, when we were back in Chile 2003, and that also helped me, by the way, a lot, you know, flying every day for three months, having the dune there. But uh, in fact, we were also moving from, uh, you know, the Antofagasta area to Iquique, and we decided to fly those famous 180 kilometers. Um, mm -hmm. But the wind wasn't favorable. And then we thought, ah, we are not going to do it. And, you know, back then was my friend Wolfgang. You still know him as well. We had two red Argons and we flew and uh, we launched and, um, you know, all the others started driving away with the car. And at some point I had no radio. I had no GPS because we thought it's going to be a short flight. And I knew that there is the military zone and everything and, <laughs> and mines and you name it. And... <laughs> And then uh, at, some point, the at some point, they like drove away with the cars. First, they were following us and um, and then uh, they drove away and I flew to Wolfgang and shouted, oh, so what's up, what's up? Yeah, I told them we're going to fly, we're going to fly. And uh, that was like we had done 50 kilometers. And so it was still uh, 130 or something to go back then. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. already uh, 18 years ago. And I didn't know, you know, I haven't been there. I had met them there and... Uh, yeah, and then, okay, so we fly, and we did punta after punta, quite strong conditions and everything, and um, then we passed this checkpoint and saw the cars, the pickups, uh, we kept flying, and I'm like, Wolfgang, when is this military airport? Wow, 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 and do we have a permit? And no, and but okay, what should we do? I mean, we had to fly. <laughs> And then I still and remember, you know, this bloody jet started, two of them, you know, and, and I was already very low. And then they pointed their nose at me, both of them, and okay. kept this roaring engine and pulled up straight into the sky in front of me. I almost pissed my pants. But um, we kept flying. And then I was like, when is this Ikike coming? You know, it's all desert, punta, desert, punta, desert. And then this Ikike shows up in front of me, and that was like unbelievable. I'm like, oh yeah, here we are. And but why isn't there any other paraglider? And as I thought it, boom, 
boom, two fast detonations and the mountains basically on the right hand exploded because they were making a new street or something. And that's why they had blocked all flying. And right at that moment, it was the two of us coming in. Man, it it was like, yeah. And then I was like, hey, and where are we? Where are we? Ah, yeah, down there, you see the cabanas and the pool and yeah. And so then six and a half hours later, really fast, we were in fact back then. That's really fast. We, la- we landed, we awesome. landed right next to the pools. That was awesome. Right next to the pool. And we had moved basically, you know, instead of taking the car with our paragliders. That was surely a very, very memorable flight. But um, many others. Yeah. I'm sure you've done very well in all sorts of competitions from uh, PWCs to uh, being German champion at times, if I'm not mistaken. And you've certainly shown your mettle with flying. I'd like you to give any last big uh, tips that you would like to give to any pilots getting into the sport, anything about anything from, from material to uh, gliders to, to harness or any tips that you would like to give. Yeah. Okay. Um... So flying is also a mental game. So um, really, really get into it. Understand the angle of attack. Understand the pendulum. Understand your glider. Practice the maneuvers. Do SIVs. Know your stall point. Do loads of ground handling to be able to really launch safely, I think. These are the key things. And don't progress too fast. Don't make the mistake. Uh, You have a whole lifetime of flying. And uh, it makes sense to... Push your limit in a safe environment and keep progressing and keep learning and read all the books and literature and go flying as much as you can. And maybe also don't hesitate to ask better pilots for advice. And it never stops with the learning and be aware Mm. of that. Yeah. In a previous podcast, I mentioned you have two kinds of people, people who are interested in learning and people who couldn't give a rat's ass and the information's as quick in one ear as it is out the other. And uh, I really think that uh, people should have a proper think when it comes to paragliding and put the egos in their pockets, forget the best equipment and rather go one step down, one step safer and be, as you say, uh, really leaning on people who are much more experienced than them. Humility plays a big part in our sport. Absolutely, yeah. And keep learning, 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 yeah. Yeah, We're never too old to learn. It's uh, like we are both common friends in kite surfing, and I have to say the growth curve in kite surfing is even probably bigger than paragliding. You know, once you can thermal and do a transition in a mountain, it's one thing, but mm, the kite surfing tricks and the evolution of kiting is just unbelievable. Uh, But again, I also believe there is so much to learn in paragliding, that a whole lifetime is probably not enough. And if you look at all the various aspects from just a normal glide down to soaring, to speed riding, to acrobatics and um, cross-country flying, and this cross-country flying is like, you know, the three-dimensional chess with the elements of nature. And in a competition, you also have all the other people added to it. Uh, It's... So no flight is the same, basically. And I think this is a big difference. And you can progress a long, long time. And no matter how old you are, whilst in kite surfing, it gets quite technical and you need young bones, you know, for the handle pass and all that stuff. Huh? Yeah. You want to be in king, king of the year, you have to have a pretty big set of kahunas and some yeah. really be prepared to break right. them. That's 
<laughs> Correct. Yeah. 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 So, very, very last question for you, Daniel. And just before we wrap this up, I would like to say. What do you see, or what would you like to see? One of the two uh, questions. What would you like to see, or what do you see happening after Corona in the world? Um, okay, so I hope that after the crisis, we all get smarter and uh, people understand that it makes sense to live in a more sustainable way and that we need to uh, be more careful with the resources it has to offer and also maybe animal meat consumption and everything, uh, you know. I mean, there are so many aspects and I hope that um, there will be some learning uh, from the people and that the world will develop in a, in a more sustainable and better way and people being more friendly with each other. I think uh, even in paragliding, people can be more friendly with each other and less arrogant and some places at least um agree with you more. and more more humble you know a more uh, humble. humble approach i think would be um also good for some takeoff uh, sites in fact for many good. people yeah. you know being a south african and uh, having learned to paraglide here and being in South Africa regularly for competitions and all around. When I come to Europe and I fly in a competition there, or even just in a in a in a free flying um, uh, situation, I'm absolutely gobsmacked sometimes. I mean, I see people who are just walking away from a situation when they should be rushing to help out. I mean, once in person, I saw a guy flying into a tree, and I was having a conversation with another guy. And uh, as I turned to say to the guy that I was uh, having this, the discussion with, uh, I wanted to turn and say to him, hey, listen, dude, uh, I think someone's thrown into the tree there. The guy had already turned and walked away, like uh, just ignoring the situation. I was gobsmacked. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Daniel, I thank you very, very much for your time. It's been absolutely awesome. It's been really, really nice having this uh, podcast. And uh, I wish you a really great time with your family. Don't look up at the thank sky you. too much, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Soon we will be hopefully able to fly again. And uh, yeah, again, ah, maybe one last word, you know, with sure. all this Corona thing. People should, and I was a wise man, I heard it from, he said, you know, think about the future. And if you are in the future, think, what did I do during this time? What will you remember what you have done? that had maybe some good impact during the time? And how did you maybe also work on your personal mindset to have a good lasting impact after that time? Oh, I like those words a lot. Daniel, I thank you very much. Daniel Turkus and a fantastic podcast. Go well, my friend. Go well, Steph. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Bye, Daniel. -bye. Bye -bye.